The Pinball Network is online. Launching. Just another pinball podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Joel Engelberth with Just Another Pinball Podcast, Episode 2. I'm very excited to uh, have a chance to do a second episode. Um, I actually have to say thank you to um, a bunch of different people who all sent emails to Zach. I, I received Facebook messages. I received a few messages on Pinside and posts on Pinside, all saying really, really nice things, uh, which I greatly appreciate. Um, and I had one message on uh, Facebook that actually asked me a few questions. So I reached out to Zach and I just said, hey, would you mind if I recorded an episode two, just trying to answer some of the questions that I had received? And he was all for it, um, and, which is really encouraging. And I, I'm happy to make this a, a more common uh, thing if, if people want it. I'm happy to share my view or my side of the hobby I know a lot of people in this hobby, or maybe this is just my uh, perspective or assumption that a lot of people in this hobby have larger collections or have been in this hobby for many, many, many years. Um, but here I am. I've, I've only been in the hobby two, three years, but I'm I'm constantly looking and reading and researching and, and trying to grow my not only my understanding, but also just my knowledge in this in this hobby. But um, I know my collection, I can really only afford a two-pin collection. And uh, just knowing that every time I get a pin, it's what do I like about this pin? Why would I want to keep this pin versus potentially moving on to another pin? And so hopefully that's a perspective that um, others can relate to. And I'm happy to share at least what goes on through my head when I'm playing a pinball machine or sharing you know, a pinball experience with friends and family, trying to read their mind, see, see what they're getting out of the... Uh, out of the hobby or out of the enjoyment of that machine. Um, so yeah, so to get into this, episode two, um, I actually received a very nice message from a guy named Tom on Facebook. And uh, he just asked, um, he basically said, if you do any more podcasts, how about sharing some of the resources you've used when you started doing your own repairs? I personally find it daunting to sift through hundreds of pages of Pinside forums to address one problem I'm having. Are there books, videos, etc., that you found helpful? And um, first off, I think this is awesome. I would be happy to continue this type of podcast. So if people have questions, if people have uh, just thoughts that they would love to hear my opinion on or just want to pick my brain, I'm, I mean, I'm no expert, but I, but I do love this hobby and I'm happy to discuss it. Um, please feel free to email Zach. Um, or I actually set up a, a, a Gmail account just for this, just to see what will happen. Um, I'm going to stick with this Just Another Pinball uh, kind of mantra. Um, so just another pinball at gmail.com. My goal is if I continue to make these podcasts, stay with Just Another Pinball Podcast. And then um, I'm actually wanting to getting into getting into streaming. So um, that'll be the same thing, Just Another Pinball, but it'll be Just Another Pinball Stream. So kind of want to roll with that. So yeah, if anybody has any thoughts, questions, comments that they'd like me to discuss, um, I'm happy to do it. Feel free to email me, justanotherpinball at gmail.com. Um, or find me on Facebook, Joel Engelberth, or uh, Pinside, Joel Bob, whatever you need to. So to get back to Tom's question, I actually started thinking about that. And I know I had hinted in the last um, in the last podcast that my first real machine that I picked up was a Stern Avatar. And and what was it that I did to that did to that machine? Because that was a real learning experience for me. Um, 
Well, I will say first off, the main resource that I use for everything is YouTube. YouTube, I, I'm a visual learner. I love seeing people do things and I, and I learn a lot from that. And um, there's some incredible, incredible different YouTube channels out there um, that just show different things. Um, you know, TNT, TNT Amusements, I, I, any game that I get, I almost, they, they typically have a, 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 one of those games that they've fixed up or done stuff with. And just seeing kind of some of the repairs that they do, I've learned a lot from them. Uh, I think it's GRC Pinball. If you look up like Ray's Tech Tips, um, incredibly informative. Like when I wanted to do a flipper rebuild, like he has a whole, it's like 45 minute video on flippers and all the different flipper styles and what you kind of need to do. Um, so he has videos on flippers, pop bumpers, uh, LEDs, like all of these are large videos that just have a ton of content in it um, that I've watched and really learned a lot from. Um, but then, you know, the second resource would be Pinside, um, getting involved in the owner threads. And um, they're very responsive. You know, if you if you have a wire dangling down and you don't know what it is, take a picture and post it as a thread and people are there to help you out. So I understand there's hundreds and hundreds of pages, but don't, don't hesitate to just ask the question. Um, and then I know I also, I, I mentioned last time that I'm in like a local Facebook group of some local collectors. So if I have a question, I can post it there, um, which is awesome because then I'm working with people that I know a little more on a personal level. Um, but that's normally where I go. Um, so I kind of wanted to explain a little more when I say I fix up games. Um Really, that has changed or it's continued to grow and, and the, the type of machine I'm willing to take on has expanded as the further I've gotten to this hobby. So I know I had mentioned in my last podcast that if you're getting into this hobby, make sure you get a machine that's working um, because the last thing you need to do is, is worry about you know hardware fixes or uh, board work or electrical work or anything like that. Make sure you get a game that's working. But even when I do get a game that's working, there are typically three things that I that I plan on doing to that machine, um, unless it's brand new. And this is kind of where I started when it came to repairing, quote unquote, repairing games was actually just these three things. Um, so thing, thing number one would be a rubber kit. Um, almost anytime you get a game that's used, especially if it's a, you know, it's a game older than five, 10 years old, typically the rubbers on that are in pretty bad shape. Um, and I feel like almost anybody in this hobby should be able to do a rubber kit on their game. Um, now it does involve taking the glass off and it does involve taking, you know, some pieces off of your game, but, um, it shouldn't be too daunting, uh, as long as you take it slow. Um, so for example, you know, some of the easiest rubbers to replace on the game would be your flipper rubbers. Those are exposed. You can just reach down there and yank them off and put on the new rubbers. Um, but then you have like your slingshots right above it. Sometimes you have ramps connected to that. So you may have to take off the ramp and set that aside. Normally I like setting up like a folding table next to, uh, my pinball machine and then just lay out the pieces kind of in the same order as I take them off. And I also, if I take a screw out of something, like let's say I take a screw off to, or a nut to, to remove a ramp. Well, once I get the the ramp removed, I actually put that screw or nut back on the post or back in the post that I removed it from just because then I know that screw goes with that post or that washer and it's all self-contained. Um, some people like stripping everything off the play field and that's fine. I, I have definitely stripped a lot of things off a of play field, but I've never gone all the way down um, to the play field yet, but maybe that's something I'll, I'll build more confidence and work towards in the future. So, um, 
So yeah, replacing rubbers is really not that bad. Um, what I will say is some games are more intricate than others and involve removing more pieces than others. Um, I know I replaced all the rubbers on my on my Hobbit when I owned uh, the Jersey Jack Hobbit, and that that actually was quite a pain um, getting everything apart to get to everything. But if you just do one section at a time, it's really it's. I truly feel that almost anybody in this hobby should be able to do it. Just go slow. If you need to take pictures to remember how things came off, that's fine. But replacing your rubbers on your game should should be something that I, I feel like everybody should give a shot. You don't necessarily have to hire a tech just to replace the rubbers on your game. Um, now, when it comes to replacing your rubbers, sure, you can get on eBay and search your game, you know, Taxi Pinball, and you'll see there's pre-made rubber kits on there. And those work great if you want authentic rubber. Um, but I personally am a huge fan of Titan Pinball. Titan Pinball makes silicone rubbers. Um, this definitely isn't a sponsorship. I'm not complaining. I'd love that. Had, but um, but I really enjoy Titan Pinball Rubbers just because of the colors and some of the options you can do there. Um, so like on my TNA, I actually replaced all the clear rubbers with, um, with Glow in the Dark. And it just really could change the look of the game. And I really love the way that looked. Um, but I've done that for... I've done that for, I think, almost every game I've had. I've placed an order with Titan um, to get rubbers. And there's a whole... On Titan Pinball, there's a whole... Uh, like rubber database so people have if you don't have the manual or you don't know exactly what sizes there's people that have already done that and that's that's an incredibly great resource and i highly recommend doing that um titan also has this another side note when you get a new game replace the balls in the game balls are the balls themselves are cheap and you you don't want to have worn out balls in the game because they can actually be somewhat abrasive um and i know titan actually sells like uh they have their normal pinball but then they also have this super shiny pinball um for like a quarter more a piece or something absolutely go with the super shiny ones it, you would think it doesn't matter but it is actually pretty neat um what that adds visually to the game so it's worth buying that's where i buy my pinballs is from titan pinball um so yeah that's what i would recommend there titan also has some great tools that you can buy um if you're getting into the hobby whether they're nut drivers or um i think they have like a magnet tray or whatnot um so some good stuff there that i would recommend um, so that's kind of step one of easy repairs that I feel like everybody should do. Um, the next level up would be LED kits or LED re replacing the bulbs in your game with LEDs. Um, if you are already taking apart, you know, if you take the plastic off, one of the plastics off to replace the one of the rubbers, whether it's a post sleeve or, or you know a rubber ring or something, there's a good chance that underneath that plastic there's a bulb. And if that bulb is an incandescent bulb, I'm a big fan of replacing that with an LED bulb. Um, they they use less power, they put off less heat, and they visually uh, can give a better look. Um, and so I personally, once again, not a sponsorship here, but I buy all my my pinball uh, all my bulbs from uh, Comet Pinball. Um, they are great. Uh, when it comes to um, buying bulbs, you can buy individual colors. There's a whole bunch of different styles. I stick. I, I like. I keep things very simple. I get two SMD frosted sunlight. So to break that down, two SMD is the number of, of diodes. So that would be surface mounted diodes. Um, so that kind of deals with how much light it's giving off. Uh, frosted deals with, it has a clear dome over top of it, but instead of it being crystal clear where you can see the diodes, it's frosted. I like that because it kind of diffuses the light. And if you're putting that in the GI, the general illumination, um, visually you don't see those diodes. So it's, it's, it's a lot better on the eyes. Um, and then sunlight. Normally, like if you went to Lowe's right now to buy a bulb for your kitchen, 
ceiling light. Um, normally you have two options. You either have cool white, uh, like, or they would call it like daylight, or you have warm white. Um, and the idea there is the hue that the, the bulb gives off. So a, a cool white or a daylight gives off like a bluish hint or hue, while a warm gives off like a yellowish or an orangish hint. So a lot of times um, people inside their houses like the warm and then cool. It, sometimes people think it reminds them of like a doctor's office. Um, it's just whatever you want to do. Um, well, when that applies to pinball, some people really like the orange or sorry, the warm lights because that reminds them of an incandescent bulb while other people like going with the cool lights because that makes it look more modern more like retro or futuristic because it looks brighter. Um, I actually like right in the middle, which uh, Comet Pinball has something called sunlight, and it's literally right in the middle of the two. So it's it looks brighter and fresher than a warm bulb, but it doesn't look um, odd, like super white or cool, um, the high end. So when I buy bulbs, I look in the manual and I see how many I need to buy. Um, so if Or I just count. You can go into the settings and turn on all your lamps and just sit there and count the inserts and look under the play field, you know, count it there, count the GI. Um, and you want to take note, there's two different types. There's like a wedge style that pushes into uh, the, the holder that the, bulbs, that the bulb's in. And then there's a bayonet style, which it kind of pushes in and turns. Um, so you, you can you can definitely tell which of the two sockets that that a bulb is um, just by visually looking at it. Otherwise, look in the manual. Um, and once you figure out that number, let's say you need to buy 47 of GI. Well, don't buy 47. Buy at least 50. You know, um, Comet Pinball, you can buy things in bulk. Definitely order more. Um, not that I've ever had one go out, but just to have a few on hands on hand is really smart and there's a really good chance you miscounted i mean that's just how it works uh don't forget to count all the bulbs in your back box um if you do accidentally count too little um feel free to leave some of the bulbs out of your back box because once you put the translate back on you won't even know that you've left some bulbs out and some people like that actually they, they don't want the back box to be super bright so they purposely put in half the bulbs or whatnot up there um but that's if you want to do it by yourself. That's what I do. I, I buy just that that one style. Um, other people do color matching. So color matching would be if you look at the if you look at the actual play field and you see oh that inserts red. Well, instead of putting in a two SMD frosted sunlight, they put in a red bulb just so that that insert is as red as it can be. Um, that's totally fine. If you want to go down that route and, and figure out each individual color, go for it. I just like the simplicity of it, and I think the the sunlight does just fine with all the colors. Um, now, if you want to completely remove the guessing work from it, Comet Pinball does have kits. So they have LED kits for an entire game that you can buy where they're, they're going to send you everything that you need um, for, the, for that game um, without you having to think about it. And I know there's other like Cointaker and I think uh, Marco. I think there are other companies that all have kits, pre-built kits. So feel free to look at that if you just want to take all the guesswork out of it. That totally works. Um, Another thing I like to buy, and I once again I get this from Comet, is they have these little matrix strips, um, and there is a there's a kit that they sell that's trough lighting that is less than ten bucks I think, and it's just this little strip that sticks inside the trough, so kind of between the flippers on the top, and you clip it into one of your other bulbs, and it just adds a little extra light down there by the flippers, and I've really gotten spoiled by that. I, I've gotten really used to that, having that extra light down there, and on certain games, I instead of doing just a, a white or a sunlight, I actually make it a color based off of the, the, the play field art, 
which works really great. Um, and then Greg Bone from Straight Down the Middle, he actually posted a video where he actually now puts strips on the back of the back box so it shows a light on the wall. And I'm a big fan of that. And they now make a kit for that as well. So just some really little things that you can complete. You can completely change the look of your game if you buy a, a game that's, you know, 5, 10 years old that looks worn. Just in that simple process of, of taking some of the parts away, cleaning your, your machine, you know, um, using novice or whatnot to remove some of the dirt and grime while you're all in there. Replacing the rubbers, if, especially if you want to go with a colored band, that's great. Um, and replacing the bulbs, that's awesome. If you're trying to figure out what color bands to use, um, believe it or not, clear is actually not a bad choice. Um, my view with the clear bands is if you put like clear bands around your slingshots, that's actually less of something that's blocking light. So light can actually go through those clear bands and actually help illuminate your game a little more. Um, but between replacing the bands and replacing LEDs, and especially if you add like that little matrix in the bottom or in the back box, like you can totally change the look of your game by doing something that doesn't involve soldering. It doesn't involve it, the screwdrivers are very simple. Like you're not, this isn't high end, like challenging work. Um, but just simple things like that would that would be where I'd say if you want to start into working on your games, that would be what I'd focus on first. Um, the next thing that I typically plan on doing with all my games is something that's called a flipper rebuild kit. Uh, both Pin, Pinball Life and Marco Specialty sells these. Uh, you just look up your game name or the type of game. Um, so whether it's a System 11 or uh, whatever you look up, like I know Spooky has their own kits. Um, but inside that kit has all the main moving parts in a flipper uh, for you to rebuild it. Because obviously this is the main way you interact with the ball. So you want to make sure, sure that those flippers are as strong and as snappy as possible. Um, so it gives you some of the linkages. It gives you a coil sleeve. It gives you a new uh, leaf switch, some screws, like springs depending on what what era of flipper you have but um i've started doing that in every game that i buy used um just because it basically makes the game feel brand new again um so this takes a little more effort than replacing rubber or an led so maybe this would be like a level three kind of thing um but at the same time all you need are a few allen keys to um um kind of remove the actual flippers themselves and then you got to dive in there and just basically take off the whole flipper mech and um, you'll see it's kind of like a lego where you're taking it apart first and then putting it back together with the new parts so you can actually see without even looking at any instructions or whatever it's pretty obvious like well i have this new part in the bag where is the old part on my flipper oh i'm going to put that there and um yeah, that makes a huge difference. Um, as long as you're comfortable turning an alley key or turning a nut driver or a screwdriver. Um, and there's some great videos out there. If you just search on YouTube Flipper Rebuild, there's uh, so many videos showing this process. Um, so it shouldn't be too daunting. Um, the one thing that I would say would be somewhat daunting would be to replace the leaf switch because the leaf switch is actually soldered on with two wires. And so if soldering is something that you feel is completely out of your wheelhouse, you could rebuild the rest of the flipper and keep the original leaf switch and you'd still see an improvement. Um, so we'll, we'll get to soldering. Um, the next level of repair. So if you're comfortable doing a flipper rebuild kit, replacing your LEDs, replacing your, your rubbers, 
now, in my opinion, I feel like you're starting to get into the world of mechanical repairs on the board. So let's say you have to replace the magnetic core in something. That's just unscrewing something and putting something back in. Or if you're realizing your drop target's not working right, that could be an electrical issue, but it could also be hardware. You could look in there and realize, oh, this switch is not registering, or this spring is broken, and it's just little, you know, fixes, mechanical fixes, um, and there's a whole bunch of tools and, and ways to go about troubleshooting different things. Um, so replacing switches, I've had to do that in games where you just buy the switch that goes there, and it's usually typically involves like soldering two or three different leads. You may have to solder a diode on the switch, but it's one. It's pretty obvious where it's this was the old switch. I have my new one. I need to make my new one look like the old one. So let me put that there. And um, yeah, most mechanical features in a game aren't too hard to see or notice if there's something mechanically broken on it, whether it's a coil stop that's like fallen off. Um, this coil isn't firing. Well, let me look underneath. Oh, the whole back end of the coil stop isn't there. So let me look online. Here's the part for it. Let me put the new part in. Um, that's all great. That's great mechanical work and it's definitely necessary. But the next step would be some sort of electrical or wiring issue. Um, now I will tell you, a bunch of the games that I've gotten from the late 80s or early 90s, almost all of them have GI issues. So the general illumination, like a whole strand or there's half the game won't even light up. That could be a bulb issue, but it could also be a connector issue. So on your game, you have a whole bunch of wires connecting to a whole bunch of parts on the play field that, that go up into the back box and then they plug into the boards in your back box. Well, those plugs, you have a plastic kind of receptacle that you have a bunch of wires going into that actually have metal inside of that. And then that plugs into onto these pins, these header pins that are sticking out of your board. Well, there's normally what'll happen with GI is those have been going for so long that that connection between the connector and the pin um, gets really, really hot and it, and it burns up the connector. And you can see that. You can look at your connectors and you can see, hey, this is supposed to be white, but you know these last two or three pins on the end are brown. And that's a problem. So I have saved, I have fixed, quote unquote, fixed so many games just by replacing header pins and connectors. Um, so to do that, once again, there's some great videos out there. I know GRC, I think it's, it's either GRC or GCR. I could be saying it wrong. I think it's GRC. They have a whole one about Molex connectors or connectors. Um, and to do this type of repair is actually very easy. Um, it involves, you need some wire strippers, some, some, flush cut tri like trimmers and then you need a crimper a wire crimper um, and you can look at all the pinball life marco's specialty or just search like on amazon molex m-o-l-e-x molex crimper there's a whole bunch out there um, and watch a few videos on how to do it but um you can get like from great plains electronics or marco specialties or pinball life you can buy the 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 connectors themselves, so the housing, the Molex housings, the plastic housing, the the pins that go inside of those. Um, what is it? It's like Tricon pins or something. I mean, it's all right there. It shows you what you need. And then the header pins. The header pins are what you're going to solder onto the board. But just the connectors, It's it literally involves unplugging the old burnt connector, cutting off one wire, stripping off the little bit at the end, crimping on another uh I don't know, crimp or plug at the end. I forget exactly the wording. And then you popping it into a new plastic connector. 
And you just do that over and over and over again. And you can replace that whole connector with brand new fresh ones for a little bit of effort and a little bit of time. Um, now, when I buy my Molex, the plastic connectors, I don't, I don't buy, you know, four, five, eight, all the different sizes. I just like buying them. I think the biggest is like 24. Just buy a bunch of those because let's say you need one that's eight. We'll just cut it, cut it down to eight. And then you still have more that you could cut down for other connectors. Um, so that's a huge, that has saved me a ton of money in fixes has that just replacing the connectors has fixed so many issues that I've run into with pinball machines. Um, most of the time people are like, oh, this isn't working. Well, have you reseated or checked your connectors where you literally are plugging or unplugging? And what you may find is during that process of plugging or unplugging them, the lights come on or something happens. Well, then you know it's something right there. So I would say replacing the connector is half the battle. The other half would be replacing the header pins. Now this involves soldering. So this would be kind of the last step or the, the last level. So level five of, of repair uh, involves the soldering iron. Um, what I would say is there's some really high-end soldering irons out there, and if I was doing board work all the time, I would love to have a $300 soldering iron, and I bet it would work wonders. But the reality is I think I, the one I bought was a simple one off Amazon for like $40. Bucks. Um, I did get one where I could set the temperature control and house the soldering iron or, or like set it in it instead of trying to awkwardly set it on a table. But then again, if you watch videos on YouTube and you can tell some of these guys are fixing things with like $10 soldering irons, they will work. It just depends on, you know, how nice of a, of a thing you want to buy uh, when you get into it. Um, but you need a soldering iron and then like some sort of solder sucker to remove the old solder. I have one that you kind of click down. Once again, it's like a 5 or $10 solder sucker. They make these vacuum-powered ones, the solder guns. Uh, they're awesome. I would love to have one of those vacuum solder guns, but once again, it's whatever, two, 300 bucks that I just can't justify because I don't use it that often. Um, but back to the connectors. So your header pins are actually in your boards. Um, so most of the time those get corroded or burnt or you can get cold. It's called a cold solder joint where that pin goes into the board and um, it's no longer secured secure in that board anymore. Um, and so to replace those pins involves removing the old solder and then putting in new pins and putting in new solder. And what you'll see is if you look at a, at a, at any of the boards in your back box, if you unplug the connectors and take that out of your back box, typically the connectors all around the outside are actually some of the bigger solder pads. So if you want to start somewhere, they're not a bad way to start because they're kind of your biggest target. Um, your physically biggest thing that you could solder on that board. Um, so replacing those pins, once again, I buy the strip in like a strip of 24. I cut it down to what I want. You will want to look. All the all the connectors are, it's called keyed, which means like on this connector, I don't have a sixth pin. It's been removed. It's been cut off. And then what you'll see in your connector is in the sixth spot, there's actually a plug that's that's keeping you from, it'll, what, it, what it does is it keeps you from potentially plugging the wrong one into that spot. Um, so that was one thing I was really scared of when I first started unplugging them was how in the world am I going to remember how where these go? Um, well, you have two options to that. One, if you look, almost every, every one is keyed, so you really can't put them in the wrong spot. And two, if you're really that worried about it, use a Sharpie. Just write, it says right there on the board, oh, this is J14. Well, write on the connector J14. If you don't want to write on that, put a piece of tape around it and write on that. But don't be scared of unplugging your connectors because as long as you go slow and look, you it's not hard to put them back. Um, 
So yeah, you remove the board, you look at the underside, you may see a cold solder joint, Google cold solder joint, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but remove that old solder, remove the old pins, put new pins in, solder the new pads. Once again, there's some great videos on YouTube that can teach you how to solder. Soldering is not that hard. Um, it just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of practice, but it's once again, it's not this terrifying thing that I think people should avoid. I think everybody should give it a shot. Um, so that's a great fix is, is just swapping out connectors. That will solve so many issues that you run into with a pinball machine. The other side of soldering would be soldering wires to coils or wires to switches. And that's where, back to the flipper rebuild kit, um, same thing. You look at the old switch. I usually cut off the wire where I leave just a tiny bit left so that you can see the color of that wire on the old switch. And then I pull up the new switch. I'll strip off a little bit of, of the, the wire put it where it's supposed to go, make sure you know you line the old switch and the new one right up next to each other so you know you're in the right spot. And then you solder solder the joints and give them a little tug, make sure they're good and you're, you're good to go. So replacing or soldering things under the play field is not that bad. You'll also see, like the NBA fast break I was working on the other night, um, those, those wires that are connected to the, the coils just due to vibration will slowly work them way back and forth and like they can break or fall off. And so being able to see that, oh, that wire's dangling there, that shouldn't be there. Well, let me figure out what's that's connected to. Or if you have no idea, take a picture of it, put it on pin side, and somebody on that, that, that game forum will show you. They'll tell you exactly what that's supposed to go to. And once you know that, you know, crimp, uh, um, strip a little bit off and stick it, you know, solder it back where it's supposed to go. Um, so wire type soldering, I would say is, is definitely something that, that is a great skill to learn. Um, and then the last kind of skill that I would recommend would be battery replacement. I know a lot of people talk about corroding batteries or how do we get batteries off the board. Um, if you look at any of the battery, if you look at any of your games and you can see at some point in time, there was corrosion uh, if it's leaked all the way down the board, then yeah, you may be out of luck or you may have to look at how do I remove that if you want to go down that route or you may want to send out the board to get it fixed or repaired. But if you look at a board and it looks good or there's just a tiny bit of corrosion in the actual battery pads, my view is get them off. Get get those batteries off of the board. And there's a few different ways to do that. Um, they make these remote packs with two wires that come off and they'll show you exactly you know, I'm going to unsolder the pads, the six pads. They're huge. The six big pads on the back of one board. Take the, the old um, clips out and then solder these two wires and boom. Now you have this pack that you can set somewhere further away from your board. Or like I know TNT Amusements, Frank has these battery boards and I've put in a bunch of them. I, I actually really like them because it uses like a Nikon battery instead, which don't leak. Um, and it's, and it's very easy soldering. It's just there. Those are literally the biggest board, the biggest pads on these boards, um, that you can solder where you can remove the old battery pack and then put on these battery boards, um, that work really well. So that's what I would say. Everything that I've just discussed, I would consider as like high intermediate type of skill. And then the last step would be like the advanced step would be actual board work where, I know my switch works, but it's not firing, or I know the wires, I can check continuity, and I know that things are going from here to there, but something's still not working. And it's at that point, it's probably a transistor, or it's something wrong with the chip, or it's something wrong with some part on your board. Um, and believe it or not, it's what's 
crazy about that is most of those parts are super cheap. They're like less than $10. And so in my mind, when I asked for help, or when I started to learn a little bit more about how a schematic works, where you're just working your way back, you can see, all right, well, this goes into this and this goes into that. So it might be this transistor or it may be that driver or pre-driver or pre-transistor. I don't know. It may be like we're working our way back to the main CPU or, or processor on the board. Well, let me start replacing some of those pieces. And um, a lot of those transistors are super cheap. We're talking like a dollar. And so the idea of having to send out a whole board for 100, 150 bucks, I have no idea, to get a whole board repaired when it could be just a $1 part. Like in my mind, it's, you know what? Let me ask. Let me see what people suggest. Oh, they're saying I should replace this part and this part. Let me look online. I'm going to pay more for shipping than I am for the actual parts. And to get here, I'm going to try and spend $10 to try to fix this myself. Worst case, it's still broken. And at that point, I could send it out to get it repaired. Or I could just buy a whole new board for more money, you know. But it's, in my opinion, it's worth the shot to try that. But I do, I would consider that daunting. I would consider that scary. I, I definitely have had moments where I've replaced parts on a board, hoping I didn't just make things worse. But I've always just, with patience and continuing to do a little bit of research and asking people questions and being willing to try it, I've actually surprised myself multiple times and, and been able to fix things that I, that were previously broken on boards. Um, but I would definitely consider that advanced and I am by no means an expert in any of that. So don't, don't email me with, Hey, how do I fix this problem? Cause I'm just going to email somebody else to, to try to figure that out. So I don't know, that's kind of the progression in my mind of repair. Um, and so a lot of those is, I would almost consider would be more categorized as maintenance. And then we start to get into fixing or repairing, and then you get into like some heavy troubleshooting and repairing. Um, but because of that, because I slowly worked my way into that fixing things and adding things and replacing games, things in my games, there was an opportunity where I was able to buy an eight ball deluxe for that was dead, completely dead. And I realized, all right, let's, let's actually work our way through this. And I realized it has no power. Nothing's happening. So let me start down with the main power supplier. Start with the, the power. Uh, I can't even think of the name of it right now. But there's like a main board in the bottom that dealt with all the power power regulator or something. And they make kits, believe it or not, on, hey, here are the pieces. Replace all these pieces. And boom, as soon as I did that, now I got power. And then I had to work my way through, why is this not working? This not working? And, oh, these connectors are bad. And just one thing at a time, slowly working my way through, I was able to get that game in, in perfect working order. And I will tell you, that is incredibly gratifying, finding these broken games and fixing them up. I think some people really enjoy the cosmetic repair, you know, doing body work on games or de re-decaling or, you know, doing playfield swaps, all about the cosmetic side. But I will say it's very gratifying to get to take a dead box of lights that aren't even on and get it to work. Um, so back to the original question, I don't think that I think that was way more than Tom was asking but I thought it was worth recording an episode just kind of explaining my thought process of how I look at games and also knowing in my head, hey, if I'm going to buy this game, there's a good chance that I'm probably going to spend, I don't know, 60 bucks on new Titan Rubbers. There's a good chance I'm going to spend over $100 on, on putting LEDs on this game. And then I'm going to put in a flipper rebuild kit. So like right there, I may have close to $200 in just parts, you know, new balls that I'm going to put into it. I may have right there $200 in parts that I'm going to put into this game just to get it playing the way I want to. And that doesn't include repairing, uh, like repairing 
like repairing anything else. That, that's just what I would consider maintenance stuff. So kind of factoring that in when you buy games of, hey, if I buy this and I sell it in six months, am I, is this, am I, am I taking an immediate $200 loss or is this $200 that I can put towards reselling it? Um, just some thoughts there. Um, but yeah, I would say if you're looking for resources, you want to learn, just dive on in. You know, I just start small, get, give yourself some smaller things to try first um, and build that confidence. YouTube is your friend. Pinside is your friend. Make friends with people in the area that like to tinker with their games. And um, you'll you'll really, I think, in my mind, I think it would... I think it would be a lot harder to enjoy this hobby if you are having to pay people to fix everything in your games because it's already it's already hard enough for me to swallow like I said $200 to put into a game to get it the way I want. It would be a whole nother level if I had to pay somebody on top of that to actually do the work. Um, so I think you will enjoy your game a lot more once you kind of learn how to tinker with it and make it your own and fix it on your own. Um, so yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on kind of just simple repairs or how do you get into that. Um, thank you a ton for asking the question. And uh, like I said, I would love I would love to make more podcasts. If people are enjoying listening to me talk, I'm happy to do it. Um, so just if you have any other thoughts, any other questions, any other topics, I don't care at all what it's about. You know, what's your view on this game, that game? What are your view on old games, new games? I don't care. Whatever you want. I'm happy to sit here and blab on about it. Um, I want to give you a visual picture, though, right now, because the last episode, as in my initial episode, I recorded it in my basement. And uh, and about halfway through, my furnace kicked on. And so there was a nice, beautiful hum in the whole second half. And uh, so I went to record this episode earlier, and I turned my furnace off. And, uh, my wife started washing something upstairs. So then I realized in the podcast, there was running water in the background. So in my mind, I thought, all right, this is episode two. I want to step it up a notch. I want to take it a little, I want to make this a little more professional. So where can I record this podcast? So I don't have to worry about background noise. So I hope everybody realizes and, and, and appreciates that right now I am sitting in our minivan in our garage. It's 1.21 in the morning because I can only do this after the ba- the baby and the, the kids are asleep. Uh, I have a I have a five-week-old and an almost two-year-old, so I have to wait for them to go to bed. And I was like, where can I sit that's nice, silent, and isolated? So I just hope you realize, yes, I am a 32-year-old full-grown man sitting in his minivan talking into a computer, a laptop with a microphone to you guys just because I enjoy it and I'm I'm happy to do that. So, um, yeah, I hope that's a great visual picture for you guys to know that I, I enjoy pinball and I, and I wouldn't put it past anybody else in this hobby to, to do the same because they, this is a great hobby and people love this hobby and people like talking pinball. And, uh, that's what I'm hoping for is some discussion here. So please give me some feedback. Uh, if there's anything I can do or answer, please let me know. But I just really appreciate that Zach was open to letting me make more podcasts and I'd love to continue this thing. Uh, so yeah, feel free to email me just another pinball at gmail.com. Uh, and then, on, on Twitch, I'm going to start streaming soon. It'll be just another pinball. Or you can email Zach and tell him, hey, Joel was great episode one, but episode two, he really tanked. That's fine. Or send send questions to Zach. But um, once again, I just I really appreciate anybody that's that's spent almost 40 minutes sitting here talking 
uh, talk about pinball. But um, thanks again, guys. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day, and uh, hopefully you'll hear me with episode three. Thanks. Bye.